Al Jazeera podcast. It's been a while since we heard chants like these in Syria. For the fourth week in a row, residents of the southern Syrian city of Sueda have marched. They've shut down government offices and torn down a statue of former President Hafez al-Assad. Thousands have taken to the streets in southern Syria in a rare show of dissatisfaction with Bashar al-Assad's regime. Protesters chanted free Syria. The protesters have been pushed to poverty by skyrocketing inflation and are asking for a political transition. Some chant for the fall of the regime, echoes of the protests in 2011 that plunged Syria into civil war. A decade of war that has left hundreds of thousands dead and no change in Syrian leadership. The conflict in Syria over the last decade has been a brutal one. So will the new movement against Syrian President Bashar al-Assad spread? Or will it be violently extinguished like the protests more than a decade ago? I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. One of those protesters back in 2011 was a then 24-year-old named Shadi. My name is Shadi Abukaram. I'm a political researcher and activist. I live now in Germany. We'll explain why he's in Germany in a minute. But we reached out to him to help us understand why the most significant protests to happen in Syria for years are happening in his hometown. There's defiance from an unexpected place in As Sueda, that's in the south, cost of living protests swelling into calls for the ouster of Bashar al-Assad. And you're in touch with people in Syria. Can you describe what people are telling you about what's happening right now? Their days now, it's completely dark. It's a mess now, you know? They get electricity for 30 minutes a day. There is no fuel. They have the worst uh, health service. The average of the salary, it's $10, which might be helpful for two days. So imagine now. They don't have any anything. Mm-hmm. You know, so they don't have anything to lose. That's why they went full in the street. Protesters have taken to the streets in the past weeks due to spiraling inflation, a currency plunge, and severe fuel shortages across the country. The economy in Syria has been worsening for a while now. The cost of living and inflation have worsened since Assad's government raised public sector wages. The protests were initially sparked by Assad's move to raise public sector salaries while scaling back on fuel and gas subsidies. And then... A few weeks ago, we saw the government scale back on fuel and gasoline subsidies. And then we saw these protests break out. You know, they saw that the regime, they don't care about people, you know? They give this rise on the salaries and at the same time, they cut off all the subsidies. Right. So a rise in government salaries while also cutting the subsidies for people. Yeah, because all the price they went, you know, 200% up. So the rise in the salaries, inflation then rises. Yes. Mm -hmm. 
can you describe for me? Because I think it's hard for people to really wrap their brains around when we say, you know, inflation is high and the economy is bad. What does that actually look like for people? If you don't have anyone who's living outside and working outside, you're dead. This is the situation. Every family, every small household now in Syria and in Sweden and in Syria, there is someone who lives outside the country and working and sending money. Without this money, no one can live. Do you count as that support? Yeah, we are like in my grand, we call it like the big family. We are like, let's say 50 people. We are like now 30 person outside of Syria. Oh, wow. The rest, like we should send the money to, they can survive. Mm. And trust me, the rest, they don't stay there because like, you know, they are in love with the country. Because there is no way to go out. You can see this in the signs now in the demonstration. Imagine when you live in a country, your goal is to leave it. Not to stay, not to build. You just, you have a goal like, okay, leave the country. Mm. You said the signs, that's what we're seeing in the signs. What does some of the signs say? What are people chanting? Yeah, one of the signs was like, I don't want my child, you know, to think about leaving the country. We spoke with some of the protesters in Sueda. One of the people making those signs is a 24-year-old who uses the pseudonym Adam. He said he's been protesting daily since August 20th. On the first day, the night before, me and my friends were hanging out and then we were like, you know what, we're going to go tomorrow and we're going to make a sign and we're just going to go. And we were like, yes, and we were very, very excited and overwhelmed. And people aren't usually out in the streets like this in Sueda, Adam says. Now the women are joining us. Now teenage teenagers are joining us. Teenage girls also. This doesn't happen in Sueda except if it was a wedding. And that's why I have been calling it a wedding. To really understand what Adam is talking about, you need to know a little bit about Sueda, where both Adam and Shadi are from. So Shadi, Sueda is a government-held province in southwestern Syria, and it's home of Syria's minority Druze community. Who are the Druze, and what should we know? Druze, they are an ethno-religious group. They live in Palestine, Jordan, Lebanon, and Syria. Druze, they have some special customs and traditions. They are well-known as secretive uh, group. And when the uprising against Syrian President Bashar al-Assad began in 2011, Sueda remained largely quiet. I used to live in Damascus, but when the revolution started, I went to Sueda because it's only one hour, and we start to demonstrate in the street, and we try to escalate the protest. Like any other city, you know. But at some point, the general atmosphere or the mood in the city was not in favor with the protests, although they were not in favor with the regime. The Druze community's leadership refused to side with the revolutionaries or the government in its fight against them. 
What was that time period like for you personally? Till the end of 2011, I felt like, you know, disappointed. Like my city, my people, they're not joining. And But starting like 2012, I understood why. I understood, and especially when the regime like went completely violent against people. Escalating violence has now killed thousands, and those opposed to President Assad claim his forces have stepped up operations against opposition strongholds. Shadi said that as people were displaced from fighting in other parts of Syria, Sueda became a haven. So suddenly, uh, 200,000 people came there was some, some guys, and they started to fight against the regime. So people from Sueda told him, if you want to fight, go to Dara, not here. Here, it should be a safe place for displacement. It was a safe place for some people, but not for Shadi or his family. Syrian authorities arrested his father in 2011. And this is how Shadi ended up leaving Syria. I was a political activist before the revolution. So basically, I was wanted from the day one. But for nine months, I was like, you know, running up between the cities and uh, trying to hide. So at the end, you know, it was, it was a clear message. I have to run away. You went to Germany. I went to Jordan, then to Turkey, then uh, to Germany. Wow, what a journey. After the break... More on the future of the protests in Sueda and why protesters say they won't back down. When Truganini died, she was mistakenly declared the last Tasmanian Aboriginal. Though some say she sold out her people, in hindsight, Truganini's survival allowed future generations to learn about the near annihilation of the Aboriginal people of Tasmania. I'm Charles Dance. Listen as I trace the life of Truganini. Hindsight by Al Jazeera. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. I'm talking with Syrian political activist Shadi Abu Karam, who hails from Sueda, a city in the country's south that's become the center of the most sustained protest movement against the government in years. Shadi, it goes without needing to say that the Syrian government is not known for tolerating dissent. Why and how have they allowed this protest movement to continue for four weeks? The regime cannot afford now a new war. This is clear. Now almost everyone in Sweden has at least, you know, AK-7. At least. 12, 13 years of this civil war, you know. You... So every household in Sweda has an AK-47. Yeah. Just in case. Yeah. Interesting. Almost. Yes. Some of the protesters say they're afraid. One of them is a 23-year-old who used the pseudonym Salma. I will not lie to you. Of course, I am afraid of being arrested. The Syrian government has killed or disappeared hundreds of thousands of its opponents, armed and unarmed. 
What terrifies me most is the idea of arresting or killing one of the peaceful protesters in the squares or in their homes or even maybe in the streets. These protesters are my family, friends, and even my teachers. Adam said he's even resigned himself to becoming a wanted person. If we step down now, then the regime will just go back to its oppressive policies and they will make it worse, especially on us now that we've came out and talked. And there would be multiple mass uh, disappearances. I'm talking in the thousands of people because people in Syria are standing up every day. And most of these people are going to become wanted on the regime's list. The authorities have so far adopted a cautious approach to one of the most significant displays of public anger. And Shadi said that in the context of Sueda, a crackdown could lead to an escalation. If the regime will go violent, people, they will respond. And they are well known in history, you know. And mm-hmm. the first big revolution in Syria, like who start the flame, who started the flame was like Druze. Shadi's talking about the 1925 revolution, when Druze fighters from Sueda led a coalition of rebel groups against the French occupation of Syria. In the present-day context, they have more political power than most. The Druze community's cohesiveness has allowed Sueda to be the only Syrian province under government control to successfully refuse conscription in the Syrian army. Shadi says local citizens will go to lengths to make sure that remains the case. If the regime arrests anyone for the mandatory service, the local, they will attack the police station, whatever, you know, they they are crazy. (laughs) They go, they take him out, you know. We told you, we're not going to the military service. But that's only true in the province of Sueda. My family, you know, now no one is doing the mandatory service. Before, like, 2011, like, they used to go, you know, but now no one is going. Like, they live in a prison. They they, they cannot, like, go out of Sueda. They are free inside Sueda, you know, but they cannot go out. Keeping all of that in mind, this last decade in Syria has been horrific by any standard. It started peacefully as the Arab Spring swept into Syria in 2011. Protests for basic freedoms and rights began. But when more peaceful protests erupted, the regime then opened fire. Syria spiraled into a brutal civil war. Hundreds of thousands of people killed, hundreds of thousands missing. Half the country's more than 20 million people have been displaced. That includes you and so many members of your family outside of Syria. What makes you think these protests will have a different result? Do you think that? Yeah, absolutely. Why? Because civil movement terrify the regime the most. When you go in a civilian protest, there is no reason for the regime to attack, okay? So now in Sweden, there is a live streaming almost all the time from Sweden. 
So it's clear, people unarmed. Even the local armed group, you know, they went to uh, the protest like unarmed. And they were clear, it's a peaceful demonstration mm-hmm. till they get their demands. Adam said that he also thinks this time will be different. Yes, I am completely confident that whenever anyone in this world hears our story and how it came to be and how this peaceful movement is going, I am pretty sure that the entire world will listen and join. Because all we are doing, standing against all fear, all odds, and danger from this Assad's regime. And that's The Take. This episode was produced by David Enders and Faranisa Campana, with Amy Walters, Chloe K. Lee, Miranda Lynn, Ashish Malhotra, Khalid Sultan, Zaina Bazar, Sonia Bagat, and me, Malika Bilal. Our sound designer is Alex Roldan. Alexandra Locke is The Take's executive producer, and Ney Alvarez is Al Jazeera's head of audio. We'll be back.